This is Hungry Gen Podcast, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. Here at HG, our vision is to see thousands saved locally and millions globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I will preach today a message I have never preached at Hungry Gen and probably will never preach again. I'll preach on socialism. Some of you are like, why? Would you want to tackle something that has to do with politics? I'll explain in just a minute. About more than 10 years ago, I was trying to get a new iPhone, but I didn't have the money. So what I was doing is what everybody does. At that time, I used Craigslist to try to find the best deal for an iPhone. I didn't want to pay the full price for the iPhone. I wanted to get it under table by one of the people in Prosser or Sunnyside who could sell me for half price. And I did not want to know how they got that iPhone. If they stole it, <laughs> ripped somebody off, or I just, it's on them, not on me. So I finally found this guy who was selling a $700 iPhone for $160. And I was like, man, the Lord has heard my prayer and he has given me favor. So as I've been talking to this person through a text message, but I did notice that something is off about them. But of course, ignoring all of my discernment, I decide to go on Friday and purchase this iPhone. I meet with this person on the parking lot, I think it was like Walmart, on the parking lot, and everything about even that meeting, the way that person was hiding in the car, seemed fishy. So I got the phone, I was like, I'm not, I'm not an idiot, I'm going to test the phone first. And so and as I turned on the phone, it wasn't turning on. And then he says, well, you need to connect it to the power. And, and I was like, well, weren't you supposed to charge it? So we connected to the power, it takes like 10 minutes to turn on. I'm like, something is fishy, and I keep getting this red flag, but see, I'm committed to getting the best deal for an iPhone. And I don't want to pay $700, I want to get for $160 iPhone. And I really believe God is in it. He's blessing me. And I just need to persevere a little bit longer. So finally it turns on, and for some weird reason, instead of an iPhone system showing up on the iPhone, an Android system shows up on the iPhone. So I'm thinking, why is an Android operating system on the iPhone? And he says, oh, it was jailbroken. So I know about jailbroken phones. You can install any kind of operating system, but typically you don't install an Android operating system on a jailbroken phone. But he convinces me that, you know, this is special jailbreak. And I said, well, and these red flags keep piling up, but I'm already too deep in to listen to those red flags. And then the final thing that should have been the deal breaker is I take the back of the iPhone and I hit it with my, like, like a knock on the phone and it's shallow. You know, when you hit an iPhone, it's, it's like hard. This one is shallow. And I was like, why is it shallow? He says, oh, it's the new addition. <laughs> you know, I drove from Prosser. It's been three days I've been expecting this iPhone. I know this sounds wrong. Everything about this seems it's not right, but you know, I'm already here and it's $160. What if God is blessing me truly? I just have to step over all of these biases and prejudices that I have developed in the last three days. I give him $160, I get that iPhone and man, how I was duped. That thing never worked. I never could log in into it. 
The Wi-Fi could never connect. It never called. I still keep that iPhone to remind me. <laughs> there are counterfeits to everything that's good. There are fakes to everything that's real. And not everything that gets presented to you on discount is worth pursuing or is a sign of God's blessing. Socialism is the devil's counterfeit. It offers utopia on earth. We can get rid of all the poverty. We can get rid of all the greed by taking away all of our property. We can make people equal. We can distribute all the wealth. We can really build heaven on earth. We don't need God for that. We are not bad. We are good. The only thing that's bad about us is the fact we own property. But once we remove the property ownership, we will all be restored back to this kumbaya state where we all love each other. We all have enough. No more poverty. No more wealthy, greedy capitalists. We're just going to all be rid of all the greed. And we can do it all without God. And the reason why I'm going to address this message is because it's alarming. In, 19, in 2019, so a few years ago, Gallup poll found 51% of Americans aged 18 to 29 had a positive view of socialism. 45% of this age, millennials, my age people, view capitalism as positive. But 51% view socialism as positive. In 2021, so two years ago, a poll conducted by the Institute of Politics at Harvard Kennedy School found 55% of Americans aged 18 to 29 would prefer to live in a country that's socialist. Now, where did this come from? An enormous amount of student debt. A liberal approach to destroy the norms in the society. A man and a woman, marriage between a husband and a wife, that's too traditional, that's too old. Let's remove all the social norms and rediscover something new. So we see the way that wealth is accumulated, the way that wealth is distributed. We want to destroy that as well. That's just oppressive system. And then we saw the greed of the capitalism. We saw the collapse during the Great Recession. When there was a huge crash in the market with the housing. A lot of people lost their homes. We saw where companies would hide certain information from the public and sell medical products and other things like chemicals that hurt people but they didn't care that it hurt people because they were more driven by profit than integrity. So my generation sees the greed, sees the excess and sees that, that capitalism, this way of acquiring money has its faults. And then the evangelists come on the scene like Bernie Sanders who present this powerful gospel of heaven and earth and the young people who have more debt that they have life to pay off, the degrees that they have they're no longer hiring for, begin to absorb the message that capitalism is greed and socialism is about the human need. And of course, we're not stupid. 
We don't want a way of life like Cuba, Venezuela, former Soviet Union. We don't want it like in North Korea. We want it like in the Scandinavian countries, in Europe. They are the socialist ones. So we have something presented to my generation, to our generation, to your kids, that looks like an iPhone, but it has a broken operating system. And my generation, young generation, who hasn't been to Cuba, Venezuela, former Soviet Union, drinks this water thinking it's water, when in reality, it's alcohol. And water and alcohol look alike from a distance, but they're not alike. And my desire today is to remove the curtain away and to show that it is a demonic lie. I'm not just saying this because I have some vendetta with Bernie Sanders or uh, that state representative uh, Alex Alexandria Cortez. I don't have an issue with them. What I have an issue with is where this is going to lead our generation if my generation takes a bite of this. Now, I, of course, who doesn't like free healthcare? Who doesn't like free stuff? But what we don't understand, the only thing that's free is cheese in a mousetrap. There is nothing free in this world. Scandinavian countries, they are not socialistic in their wealth accumulation. They are socialistic in their wealth distribution. Sweden, Norway, and other countries, they are capitalists, meaning they believe in private property. They believe in the importance of business. And the only reason that they have free stuff is because they charge their citizens over 50% in taxes. And the free stuff that they offer seems like nobody likes it. Because one out of five students in Norway goes to a private school, not to a free school. If free education is so great, why don't everybody send their kids to them? If free healthcare is so great, go to Canada and you will meet people who will tell you it takes six months to get a treatment. And guess what they do? They cross to the United States and pay for the treatment so that they don't die. Free stuff is an illusion. In the Ukraine, they have free healthcare, but even when I went there, you had to bring a bribe. Free stuff doesn't work. It's just, an, it's a lie that gets sold to my generation. And we absorb it because we hate the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and most people, young people think that's actually a biblical way, which I'm going to address that in just a moment. God is a socialist God, because look what Jesus said about the rich people, they will not enter into heaven, it's better for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, and for a wealthy person to go to heaven, Jesus just like overthrew the money changers, meaning he's against business, so they take all these verses out of context and say, this is the gospel, utopia on earth. Life that is just free of all these greeds and classes. And we just need to wipe all of that out and create a new world. It really started with a guy named Karl Marx. Karl Marx was born in Germany in 1818. He was the son of a rabbi. His dad became a Protestant Christian. And... Karl Marx, who was, they said was a pretty lazy guy actually, never really had an official job, spent his life in the library, 
Nothing wrong with being taught and constantly going to the library. He gets married to Jenny and has seven children. He's around the time when there was an industrial revolution taking place on this earth. And the people who had these manufacturing factories were getting richer. And the people who worked for them were getting, of course, poorer. The working environment was not like the working environment today. People were not able to invest in a stock market, crypto, and have a part of a company like we have today. And as these rich people would die, they would pass on their factories to their children, who many times were not very educated, many times were mean, and really difficult to work with. Karl Marx, as well as other people, saw that the poor people don't stand a chance where wealth constantly gets transferred from one generation to another, and nobody has a chance to break the cycle of poverty, and nobody has a chance to stop the cycle of wealth, no matter how they behave. He created a brilliant idea. The only way to solve this is through a revolution. He encouraged the workers to rebel against their employers and so that they can rebel and revolt against them and thus creating an ecosystem where private property is abolished, meaning you cannot own a home. You cannot own anything. Everything is owned by the state and then the state takes all the money that you make, whether you are hardworking or not hardworking, and then the state, the government, decides who gets what. On this idea, communism was running. Marxist idea is the engine of communism. Lenin, Stalin, the people who run North Korea, even then in Vietnam, in Cuba, took this idea because communism and socialism are like the two sides of the same sword. This idea is responsible for murdering 100 million people in the last 100 years. This is straight from the heart of hell. Any idea that is responsible to kill 100 million people is demonic. I don't care how you repackage it, I don't care who is the spokesman, and I don't care how much it offends you. Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Any idea that takes a man and makes him into a monstrous dictator, and takes the human liberty and squashes it, and kills it, and destroys that, wipes the knowledge of God, and makes the state into a God, is demonic behind the scenes. Seven reasons why socialism is not biblical. Reason number one, socialism says God is not real. Socialism says there is no God. The Bible says fools deny the existence of God. Our Bible says it doesn't prove that God exists. It starts with the notion in the beginning, God. Karl Marx said this, religion is the opium of the people. Karl Marx knew you cannot establish socialism until you destroy religion. Why? Because you can't control people who believe in God that created everything. In order for the government to control you, they have to get rid of your belief in something that makes you uncontrollable. The first thing that communism has to do is wipe the knowledge of God, destroy your ability to believe in God. Why? Because you can't be 
gullible. You can't be naive. You can't be manipulated and controlled by the government if you believe in somebody else who is greater than the government. That's why Karl Marx said, the rich people use religion to control the poor people. He says, it's the opium, it's the drug, but in reality, it's the other way around. Faith gives you freedom to make your own decisions. Faith gives you freedom. Faith gives you this belief that you are made in the image of God. Government is not your God. Another human being cannot be your God. You are accountable to a God and that God is not in a white house. He sits on the white throne. Karl Marx said the first requisite for happiness of the people is the abolishing of religion. He also said the idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization. Even if communism would deliver on all its promises, it's still demonic because it will send you to the lake of fire. There is a God who created heavens and the earth. He created you and I in His image and likeness. And this God wants to know you personally through His Son, Jesus Christ. The second lie of socialism, and that is this, humans are good. Socialism says people are good. The Bible says people are sinful. Now at first it doesn't seem like a lie. You're like, that's not a lie. We're good. No, we're not. You don't teach your children to lie. It's natural for us to do bad. We have to practice hard not to do bad. Now, just because we can build skyscrapers and just because we can build airplanes and just because our phones are smarter than us at some times and just because our microwaves are fast, just because our world is progressing, it doesn't mean we are. The Bible says man is regressing with time, not progressing. What socialism says is this, we are good, but we became bad when we started to own property. So our problem is individual property ownership. We became greedy. So if we all get rid of our property, we will be back at being good. Our problem is the system of capitalism that's there that simply teaches, you know, if you offer a service in return, you get money. That is bad. Once we get rid of that and then you just work and the government decides what you eat, the government decides how much the work you produce should be paid for instead of the interest of what people are willing to pay. And, and the socialism says, then we'll be back to being good. And of course, since we will not like that idea, of getting rid of this form of getting compensated for a good work. We need a revolution and the government needs to temporarily step in and squash the rebels to establish heaven on earth and the utopia for which then later on you will be grateful for. People in North Korea love that utopia so much that they're not even allowed to escape it. People in former Soviet Union love that so much that the government didn't let them run away from it. If it's so beautiful, why do people from Venezuela run from it? If it's so beautiful, why do people from Cuba run from it? The core of it is anti-biblical. We are not good. 
Now I know it probably, if you're first time here today, that should offend you. That you are not good. But honestly, even Greek philosophers, Roman and Greek philosophers understood that people are not naturally good. Deists who believed in the existence of God or a deity, but didn't believe in a personal God like Thomas Jefferson held to this doctrine that we are not good. Which is why the writers of the US Constitution kept this doctrine in mind when they built safeguards to protect our nation against evil politicians. That's why our power is broken into three branches. Why? Because the people who formed our constitution had this mindset. People can't be trusted. They are naturally bent on evil. You gotta create safeguards. So, and what happens with socialism, you don't have those safeguards. So all that power goes to the state, which typically goes to the head of one person called dictator. And you have this God, a man who acts like God because he convinces you not to believe in God. Why? Why he does convince you not to believe in God? Because he can't be God if you already have one. Humans will get worse with time and our only solution is not getting rid of private property, businesses and getting rid of the differentiation between poor and rich. Our solution is Christ. Our problem is not, so, is not capitalist system. Our problem is our heart that needs to be changed. Number three, socialism teaches the state is the final authority. Socialism teaches that the government is the final authority. The Bible teaches God is the final authority. Karl Marx says the class struggle necessarily leads to the dictatorship of the proletarian. In Marxist proverb, this is what they would say, trust is good, control is better. Mao taught this, that political power grows out of a barrel of a gun. Scripture that teaches that we are to subject ourselves to authorities, but the Bible always makes a differentiation and praises people who practiced civil disobedience when the authority God establishes rebels against God's standards. God blessed the women who helped with birthing process in Egypt when they didn't kill babies, but the government told them to kill babies. Apostles told the religious leaders, we will submit to you in every way, except when you tell us not to obey God, we will not submit to you. That's one of the reasons Hungry Gen was open before our governor allowed us to be open. God bless our governor, but he is not the final authority. It offended few people who felt like, oh, you guys are practicing civil disobedience. When the malls were filled with people, casinos were filled with people, parks were filled with people, when Walmart was filled with people, Lowe's was filled with people, and the church was empty, when the protesters took million people on the streets and were looting our malls and that was okay, but for us to assemble together, as the Bible says for us to assemble together, was not okay. We practiced civil disobedience. Number four, children belong to the state, not to the parents. Now this is going to get interesting. What you, don't, what you have to understand about socialism, in socialism, your children don't belong to you. They belong to the government. Actually, Lenin said this, 
no, uh, in the principles of communism, in the principles of communism, Friedrich, Frederick, the one who also wrote a book with Karl Marx, he said this, is the education of all children from the moment they leave their mother's care in national establishments at national cost. Meaning, you birth the children, you nurse them, and after that, they belong to the government where the government teaches them the truth, not you. It goes contrary to my Bible and your Bible because the Bible says parents are responsible to raise the children, not public schools. Public schools can teach them science and they can teach them math and they can teach them PE. They can teach them how to write and they can teach them how to read, but they don't teach them what to believe. They don't teach them right and wrong. That assignment from the beginning of Genesis till the end of Revelation was always been placed on the shoulder of mom and dad. Not the public school, not the private school, and not your teachers. Mom and dad were responsible to pass Christian or their faith to their children. Joe Biden said, there is no such a thing as someone else's child. No such a thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Joe, you're wrong. They're not all our children. Our children belong to us. They don't belong to our nation. Our children, the one that we birth, are going to continue the belief and they will continue the work that God has for them. Me and my family, Joshua said, belongs to God. Senate Bill 5599 in Washington state allows shelters to be built to help runaway teenagers as young as 13 years of age to be kept from their parents who want to get an abortion or gender affirming surgeries. This just happened in the Washington state where our governor signed the deal. Now for those of you who maybe think I'm treading too much into politics, I am not. I'm the simplest thing. This is what's happening in our culture and it goes contrary to the scriptures and we have to speak what the Bible teaches. Senate Bill 5599, pretty much what it says is this. If your child is confused, which a lot of studies have been done where children can suffer with gender dysphoria and they grow out of it. In our state, 13-year-old cannot go get drunk and get alcohol in the bar. 13-year-old cannot get a tattoo without the permission of their parents. 13-year-olds are not allowed to do anything almost. Yet, the government deems it, it's okay, and with our tax dollars, we'll build shelters when a 13-year-old wants to get an irreversible surgery to remove their breasts and to take pills to block their puberty. That is okay. And we will pretty much say, we will hide those kids from you. Right now, before this, we had a law. If your child wants to get a gender-affirming surgery, they need your permission. If your child wants to get an abortion as early as 14, they need your permission. After this law, they don't need your permission because the government gave them. That is a form and a shade of control and socialism. The Bible says parents are responsible for their children, not the government. I want to encourage you parents 
This is going to be what, what is happening in our culture and what is going to be continuing to happen. This is not to frighten you, but this is as bear, a mama bear, you got to protect your bears. As a, as, as a mama hen, you got to protect your little chicks. You got to protect your family. Why? Because if you think the government has the best interest in your family, think again. Just read about former Soviet Union. Or ask my mom, ask my dad, ask our pastor. They grew up under that regime. The government does not have your best interest. The government was given to protect our rights, not to give them to us. Our rights don't come from our government, it comes from our God. They need to live for liberty, for freedom, pursuit of happiness. That didn't come because we have a government. That came because we have a creator who made us to live on this earth. And the government is there to protect those rights. Not to give them or to take them. Number five. Socialism teaches that all people must be equal. Now at first, again, this looks like a good iPhone. Looks like water when in reality it's alcohol. It looks, well, isn't the Bible teaches that? Well, socialism teaches that everyone must have equal wealth. The Bible teaches that humans are equal in value, but they are different in abilities. Lenin in Put Pravde, number 33, on March 11, 1914, he said this, The abolition of classes means placing all citizens on the equal footing with regard to the means of production belonging to society as a whole. It means giving all citizens equal opportunities of working on the publicly owned means of production, on the publicly owned land, at the publicly owned factories, and so forth. The Bible says, the poor you will have with you always. Socialism says, not so. We will never have poor. We will have, everybody will have more than enough. But every place socialism thrives, everyone is poor. They remove wealth. They also make everybody poor. The Bible says that the reason why God allows the poor is to test the rich. That they are generous and that they are caring for other people. The Bible says not to covet another person's wealth. How can you not covet somebody else if everybody is equal? That means the Bible assumes not all of us are going to be equal. There will be a 17-year-old student and there's going to be a 70-year-old man. A 70-year-old man is going to have a different wealth than a 17-year-old student. And therefore, a 17-year-old should not covet his 70-year-old grandpa. Nor his grandpa should give all of his wealth to a 17-year-old punk. I mean, a uh, young man. <laughs> Why? He needs to work for it. We are not equal. We are equal in value and worth. But some of us are very hardworking. Some of us just love nature too much. And we don't care about money. Some of us are businessmen and some of us, we don't like to run a business. We just like to 8 to 5 or 9 to 5 and that's okay. The Bible says don't covet other people and don't steal from other people. There is two ways to make money. One way is the traditional way, is they call it the capitalist way. The capitalism works like this. I have $100 and you want those $100. So what you do is you create something I need so that I can give you those $100. So for example, you look at me like, you know, Vlad has a really nice dress code, but I think he needs a jacket. 
So you make a jacket and you charge me $100 for a jacket. I go give you $100 and this way you met my need and in exchange you received what you wanted but your mind wasn't focused on $100. Your mind was focused on the need that I have that you can meet so that in exchange I can give you $100. That's what capitalism is. It's not selfish. It's actually very selfless because you have to constantly think about what people want and what they need. Socialism works like this. Or another way to make money is to put a gun to somebody's head and says, give me a hundred bucks. <laughs> when a thug comes on the street or a mafia guy comes on the street, puts a gun to your head, says, give me a hundred bucks. And you're like, yeah, okay, I give it back. So socialism gives the government a gun. When the government comes with a gun and says, you work, we take the money. And we decide what somebody needs, what somebody's willing to pay for it, we control all of that. And that, I believe, is wrong. We want to build a society where you focus on meeting other people's needs, which is actually one of the Christian fundamentals. Serve another person. As a businessman, if you are offering some service, you're thinking, how can I offer that service better for my customer? And in exchange, they give you money. There's nothing greedy about it. You're actually serving the need of your community. And in exchange, you're receiving a compensation for that. And then somebody else will come alongside and find a way to do this jacket for $50. And now you have to constantly stay creative to stay competitive in this kind of economic environment. That's why capitalism produces competition, which is good for all of us. Because somebody keeps coming up with new ideas, better ways of doing things. And that is the way God created it to be. Instead of a thug comes to you and puts a gun to you and says, give me all your money. In socialism, the government is the thug. Number six. Socialism teaches that the product of one's labor is shared by those who have not labored. Meaning, and this is one of the Karl Marx statements, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. Meaning... You work hard, you're a businessman who creates things, or you're a doctor who does heart surgeries, that's great. And then somebody else who does absolutely nothing, everyone is spread equally when it comes to finances. But the Bible teaches us this, that hard work is rewarded, not laziness. Amen? Amen? The Bible teaches that we are to share our bread with the needy, but it doesn't give government power to force us to share the bread with the needy. Amen? Number seven, the socialism teaches that the state eliminates private property. Pretty much in socialism, you're not allowed to own anything. The Bible teaches us that things should not own us. The Bible is not against you owning anything. The Bible just doesn't teach us that make sure that things that you own don't own you. Amen? Now, in the conclusion, what I want to finish with is this. I want to answer the question that a lot of times get asked, especially by young people, is that, well, that's all good and stuff, but our Bible shows that the early church was socialist. And so I'm going to read to you, book of Acts, let's go to the Bible, book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. Book of Acts chapter 2 verse 44. Now when all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 45, 
and sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had need. In verse 46, so continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I want you to notice one thing. They were all together. Forced community is communism. Voluntarily community is Christianity. When you get together with other believers and sisters, brothers and sisters on a small group, it's not communism, it's community. When the government forces you to get together or the church that forces you to get together, it's communism. The early church were not forced to be together. They wanted to be together because God gave them the desire. The difference between communism and Christian community is one is forced with the gun and the other one is enforced by your own desire in the heart because you want to be with other people. I want you to notice, the Bible doesn't say that apostles made Christians to be together, sell their property. The Bible says they wanted to do it of their own desire. Another thing that I wanted to highlight is this. Sharing your property was voluntarily, it was not imposed by apostles or the state. We don't see apostles making a requirement that if you become a Christian, you must sell all your property and now give all the money to the church treasury where the apostles will decide who gets what. The scripture says this, as everyone or anyone needed, meaning this, believers started to notice, this is kind of how it happened. On the day of Pentecost, a lot of people came for the feast to Israel. This was a Jewish feast and during that feast, People who came to stay there for a little bit, they heard this sound and this fire and they got saved. And instead of going back to their villages, their cities, with this newfound faith that they just found in Jerusalem, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, what they decided to do is to stay over in Jerusalem for a little bit longer to learn more about Christian faith. It would be like this. You guys came for prayer line. You got so wrecked. You're like, I'm not going home. I'm going to stick around here for a few months. Now imagine if 5,000 people do that. What it's going to do, it's going to overwhelm us. That's exactly what happened. It overwhelmed the Christians in Jerusalem, which were already very few, not a lot of them. So guess what they started to do? What we would do if y'all decide to stay. If we had an extra car, we're going to try to borrow you so you can take people to church and get some grocery. If we will have an extra Airbnb, we will try to put in there. So Christians started to sell their properties to accommodate new believers from outside of town who got wrecked at the day of Pentecost. But you don't see apostles getting up and say, if you are a Christian, you must get rid of your private property. Why we don't see that? Because in the next verse, it says they met in the temple and in their houses. Meaning people still had houses. They didn't get rid of all their houses. They only got rid of houses as the need was there. And this did not continue. How we know that? Because in book of Acts chapter 6, it says only widows were receiving help. No longer everybody was receiving help. And this actually did not work. How do we know that? Because it didn't continue. 
We don't see after that every place where Christianity came in, everyone start living together like hippies, kind of like let's all just in the communal living, everybody selling stuff and just, just, just love Jesus, just worship and wait for Jesus coming. We don't see that as being a instruction for the church of Jesus Christ. This was more of a description of what God did at one moment. It wasn't forced by the government. It wasn't forced by apostles. It was just led by the Lord in their hearts, helping the needs of other believers. But it was not a standard for a church. Amen. Amen. Now in the conclusion, I want you to open with me 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. I want you to see what Paul teaches to people who are rich. Now when I read this, when I used to read this, I'm like, yeah, it's talking about the guy that drives a BMW. But when it comes to the rich, rich is such a it's such an interesting definition because to everyone who lives outside of America, you guys are rich. You will never feel like you are rich. Just go outside of the United States and you will feel that you are not poor. Most of you and I have a house for a car called garage. That's already rich. The Bible says, commend those who are rich. I want you to notice what it does not say. It does not say, commend those who are rich. You're a bunch of sinners. Because you are rich, wealth is wicked. Get rid of all of your money. Because a camel cannot get through the eye of the needle and you're not going to heaven because you are rich. The Bible says, if you are rich, don't be arrogant. Trust not in your riches, but in living God, who gives you richly, I love this, all things to enjoy. There's no guilt in enjoying the blessings God has given you. And we as Christians should not covet somebody who works hard, makes money, and maybe enjoys certain things like, ah, they must be so greedy. And you must be so covetous. The Bible says, let them enjoy all things that are from God. As long as they glorify God, they're not taking trust in their money. They're not in love with their money. And they enjoy the things that God provides for them. It's not sinful. And then the Bible says, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. I love this part because the Lord is telling us, if you are rich, meaning you have more than enough, don't take your trust in your money. Trust in God. Don't walk around thinking you're better than other people because you're more successful, but because it is God who gives you power to get wealth. Give God the credit. And then it says this, don't just be rich in your stock portfolio, we are rich in good works. Be known to be the person who helps those who are less fortunate. Share in all things. That means if you are able and you see the need of somebody else in the church, in your company, in your neighborhood, you help them. Like we have few families that will be moving to Tri-Cities in next few months that will play a very important role at Hungry Gen's mission and vision here. And they will be brand new in the United States. Quite few of us are pulling resources together and finances to help them. Some with cars, some with furniture and other things. Why are we doing that? Not because the state commanded us, not because the church commanded us, but because when we have more than enough, the Holy Spirit moves our hearts to help those who have needs. And it's something that is done not by force. Otherwise, how can we be cheerful givers if we were put a gun to our head? The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. 
You know, we were just on a vacation in Mexico with my wife. And, you know, they have the policy in the hotel where every transaction, it was not an all-inclusive hotel. So every place that we ate, we took coffee, they right away deducted 15% tip. I didn't feel cheerful about it. I didn't want to give anything extra above that. Honestly, it stole my opportunity to be generous. It was forced on me. And I said, man, how awesome would it be if they would have given me the opportunity? I would have given 30%, 25% and I would have taken cheer in that. Because God loves a cheerful giver. You can't be a cheerful giver if you're forced. But when you're given an opportunity to help the poor, when you're given the opportunity to help the building fund, instead of somebody coming in and saying, you are forced to help our building fund. But when you have the opportunity, you find joy, you have ownership, and that's biblical generosity. You are given the opportunity to help the poor. And the Spirit leads us from here, not the government leads us from over there. And I understand the government thinks that, oh, but people won't be generous. No, they won't unless they have a change of heart. But the government can't change their heart. Only God can change their heart. Can somebody say Amen? In the conclusion, God is not a Robin, Robin Hood. What He takes from the rich to give it to the poor. God changes the hearts of the rich to bless the poor. God moves on the hearts of the middle class, the wealthy and others to elevate the needs of other people. That's what God is. In the conclusion, government is not our God. We are to practice civil disobedience when the government goes against God. We're not rebellious, but we're also not blind and government is not our God. Our God sits on the throne. Our God is not our governor or our government. Number two is people are not good. We progress externally, but we regress internally. Number three, wealth is not wicked. How you get the money? How you spend the money and how view the money can be sinful, but money in itself is not. Number four, charity should not be forced. We are encouraged to help the poor, but we don't shift that duty on our government. Number five, socialism fails to deliver on its promises. Even the gift of eternal life came at the cost of God's Son. Nothing is free. And number six, Revolution is not a solution for us because God commands us to repent. If you are here in this room today and maybe you're coming for the first time or you've been coming for some time, I'm going to tell you the truth that you probably would not like to hear. Is God says that you are a bad person. I know your wife already probably told you that. Your parents maybe told you that. And when you messed up, your own heart told you that. God doesn't only tell that you're a good person, bad person, but God says, for all the bad that you've done, you will face consequences. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. It's not a comfortable truth, but you have to listen to, to this because if you don't embrace this, you miss the whole point of Christianity. God is not just a good Father in heaven, He is a just judge. A judge who doesn't punish a criminal is not just and He's not good. The only time you want a judge who dismisses crime is when you're the criminal. 
But when you were sinned against, you want a judge that's just and good. If you ever lied, you're a liar. If you ever stole, you're a thief. If you ever looked at a woman with adultery, the Bible says you're an adulterer at heart. By your own admission, you're lying, adulterous thief. Which means if God is just, and as the Bible says is, you will be judged. And you will receive eternal separation from Him. Not comfortable truth, I know. But you wouldn't want God any other than that. You wouldn't want God soft on crime. You wouldn't want God soft on sin. And this God knowing that you're corrupt, I am corrupt on the inside, He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take all of my sin, everything I deserved, all of my evil, and He dies on that cross. He pays the penalty so that now God can forgive me for my sin, accept me into His life, into His kingdom, and most importantly, give me a brand new heart. Something socialism, communism, and the government cannot give. Religion cannot give you that. Peace with God and new heart. And this God, once He gives you the new heart, it becomes natural for you to want to do good. You won't be perfect, but you will be new. And you will have forgiveness of your sins. And that is what Christ offers. There is no utopia on earth, heaven on earth, without the forgiveness of your sins first, and you being reconciled to God first. And one day Jesus will come and He will make everything right. One day Jesus will be the supreme ruler on this earth and there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more curse. There will be no more abuse. There will be no more evil. But until that day, He establishes His kingdom in our hearts. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you were blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe and send it to someone. And don't forget, you can always share it on your social stories. Stay connected with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information on internship, prayer line, conferences, and other resources, go to HungryGen.com. Remember, better is not good enough. The best is yet to come.